Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Mark. Mike. One of my favorite people, man. Thank you so much for being on the Mike Litton Experience. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know you're a busy guy. So, well, yeah, but we're never too busy for you, no, right? I'm so as we talked about, our big thing is everybody has a story mm. and our passion is to help them tell it. So in the Mike Litton experience, what we're going to do with your permission is we're going to start with where you were born and then we're going to go all the way up to today. Okay. I may ask you a few questions here and there, like I talked about. Um, and then we can talk about anything you want to talk about that's happening today, right? Yeah. Anything you're working on for tomorrow, that kind of thing. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's start with where you were born. All right. So I was born in the Bay Area, early 90s. Okay. Mom emigrated from Mexico. So where in the Bay Area? Castro Valley. Okay. Yep. Okay. Mom came from Mexico. Dad came from Poland. So okay. So first generation. So got to grow up learning English with my parents. That gotcha. was always fun. Yeah. So became kind of like a translator for them throughout my whole life. So communication's always been like one of my foundations. Yeah. And lived there till I was about six. Mm -hmm. Then we moved over to Modesto. Okay. Lived there till I was 10. Then we moved up to Klamath Falls, Oregon. Ooh. Yeah, spent some time in the Pacific Beautiful Northwest. area. Incredible area. It was a lot of fun. Stayed there until we were about 13. And then we moved out to Texas. Okay. So I call Texas home, a town called Mansfield, Texas. Okay. And that's where in Texas? It's in Texas the is a big place. Dallas Fort Worth area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just outside, okay. Yep. Then then stayed there until graduated high school, and then came out to San Diego, go to San Diego State, and this has been home ever since. Okay. So let's go back for just a second. So you're so you start off in Castro Valley. Yep. And then Modesto. Yep. And then Klamath Falls, Oregon. What what precipitated those moves? So my parents, because they were always chasing the American dream, they mm -hmm. kept feeling they were getting priced out of each area. The housing market started booming in the late 90s in the Bay Area. Parents couldn't afford it, so we had family in the Modesto area. We moved over there. And then after being in the Modesto area, we stayed until 2006, 2007. Housing boom again. Mm -hmm. Parents cashed out on the properties that they bought there. We moved up to Oregon. But then we realized that when we were living in Oregon, my dad's like, you know, we're just too isolated from everybody, friends and family. We're the largest town within like 70 miles. And my dad said, you know what? There's probably a better future for me growing up in Texas. Hmm. So we just picked up and moved around. What'd your dad do? So my dad worked from home. He's rode the dot-com bubble. He was always very entrepreneurial. Um, started, you know, buying gold and silver coins, building computers, fixing them, just always had his hands in just different things. Okay. So for him, it's always about, you know, finding out where I can make my next buck. Okay. And he just did maybe 15, 20 different jobs over the wow. course of his life. And, you know, that's how kind of fed off into me. That's cool. Yeah. So what was your favorite thing about growing up in all the places you grew up? Let's, and probably, I mean, I know, I know you're calling Texas home. Yeah. I get that. 
Okay. You guys, what you guys don't see is he's wearing cowboy boots today. Yeah. So, right, Mr. Texan. Absolutely. Um, so, so what, what was your favorite thing growing up? Growing up, I got to experience so many different cultures and got to so many different ways of thinking because I didn't grow up in the same house, same city, surrounded by the same group of friends. So I got exposed to so many different types of people that I kind of took little bits and pieces from all the different areas that I've lived and kind of just gelled them all into myself. So kind of different cultures, that kind of thing. Yeah, different customs, different yeah. cultures, right? Because people who are in the Bay Area traditionally have different values than, say, somebody out in Texas. Right, or Church, Modesto, or in, right? Even in or, Modesto. Or Klamath Falls. Exactly. So I got little bits and pieces from all the different places that I live because I've always been influenced by the people that I was around. Right. So it just kind of goes. So that's why I'm always said that I can be plugged into any city at anywhere and kind of just fit in and build a new group of friends because I was always the new kid. Yeah. I get that about you. Yeah. You acclimate well. Yeah. I'm the only child. So it was either. I mean, I'm hard to get along with and you get along with me really well. Right. <laughs> by the way, um, for those of you that, that follow our podcast and follow our YouTube channel, we're in different digs today. Um, we're actually at Mark's office in their studio and thank you guys for, um, for hosting us and having us here. Um, so we're at the hub in Chula Vista, yep. right? Uh, real broker's office. We're going to get to that in a minute, but I just wanted to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for hosting us and having us. Um, so let's talk about growing up. Who was the most influential person to you growing up? For me, it was always my football coaches. Okay. I started playing football from fifth grade going forward. Okay. And my mom wouldn't let me play tackle football, so she'd have me play flag first. Okay. And because there's a language barrier there, I brought the permission slip the following morning for Pop Warner. She signed it. She drops me off at practice. And then she's like, Mark, these are pads. I'm like, yep, you already signed it. Can yeah. I go play? Yeah. She goes, fine. So I ended up playing, and it was, Ooh. it was the best decision. She said, she tells me to this day, it was the best decision that I could have made. Because really? you know, in, high school, in junior high, you know, things were – kind of a little bit iffy with you know the people that i was surrounding myself with mm -hmm. so then my, so where were we in junior high that was in oregon okay okay and then i remember i just didn't like school i told my mom like i don't care i'm not going to college and that just damn near broke her heart yeah so then that's why they pulled me out of there and then went over to texas and then really got my stuff together and you know was able to graduate and make it out to college. Okay. So let's go back to junior high for just a second. Cause oh you, you absolutely, hard. you absolutely know that's where I'm going. That was hard. Bro, well, you had to, you brought up the iffy thing. So let's just, <laughs> let's just talk about it for a second. So, so you're in Klamath Falls. It sounds like it's kind of a culture shock from Northern California. Right. Yeah. And you're going to, you're going to junior high. By the way, a lot of people struggle in junior high. It's not, yeah. that's, that's not, that happens. It does. I did. Um, and so football was an outlet for you. Yeah. Talk about that for a second. It was the first time that I actually was able to see like structure, mm -hmm. organization, like showing up and committing to something, not doing whatever I felt like doing. You had to be, you know, practice certain mm -hmm. time, do certain things. And I wasn't very good, but I loved every minute of it. And what did you play? What position did you play? All over the place. Linebacker, okay. quarterback. I mean, I was a terrible quarterback, but they still put me in there anyway. Yeah. And then played linebacker. So that was always fun. Did you play Ironman football? No. Okay. So you played either defense or offense, that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. So what was it about your football coaches that you that you that you apply such great value to? You said they were the most influential people to you growing up. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. 
didn't realize it there at the time, but they weren't just teaching us football, but they were teaching us to like become men, mm-hmm. you know, men of high character, conviction, and being committed to something yeah. that's greater than ourselves. So that's why the team aspect was always so big for me. Yeah. And c- growing up as an only child, I kind of always felt isolated, could fit in everywhere, but also felt like I never belonged anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that was the first place that I found home. And still to this day, I have friends that were on that junior high football team that I'm still in communication with. And same thing throughout all aspects of, you know, my other later years. So was it the discipline? Was it, what was it specifically? It was more giving into something that was greater than yourself. Okay. So something bigger than you. Yeah. Okay. It was the team. Like you do your job, the team succeeds. If you do what you want, you're going to hurt the team. I gotcha. The guilt kicks in when you start to do whatever you want to do. And then you let people down. So you start playing football in Klamath Falls. Yeah. And then you go to the absolute pinnacle of football, which is Texas. Yep. Right? Oh, yeah. And Mansfield, how, how big is Mansfield? Mansfield today is probably about 70,000 people. At the time, we had five high schools. We were the fifth high school. Wow. And we were, at the time, 4A for my junior year, moved up to the 5A, which at the time was the biggest. Mm-hmm. On our varsity team, we had three NFL draft picks, and we went one and nine. Wow. So that just tells you the caliber of talent that we were playing against. So, so what was that like going from Klamath Falls to Mansfield? What was the what was the transition like, football wise, but also just in terms of growing up? What was that transition like? That was another huge culture shock. Yeah, it was going from the Pacific Northwest, where it was you know mostly logging the mill industry versus you're going out to Texas where it's oil and gas, the right. Bible belt, you know, you can't buy beer, alcohol on Sundays, right. You know, new dry state, yeah. gas, dry, lived in a dry County, which I mean, I didn't grow up drinking, but like just yeah. still being around it. So I just well, saw it totally different. There's, there's, that's, there's a point to be made there, yeah. right? Because when you are in a dry County and you're in a dry state, there is a and you and like you mentioned Bible Belt, right? No. There's just a different way of living. There's yep. a different set of values, different set of norms, the whole thing. Absolutely. So yeah, it's it probably was a little bit cold. So what what grade were you in when you moved to Mansfield? Um, I was in going into ninth grade. Okay, so you're a freshman. I was a freshman. I was 13 when I started my freshman year of high school because I started school a year early. Right. So graduated 17 and then college at 17. So I was. That was always the hardest thing for me because I was younger than everybody. Mm-hmm. But so I got exposed to a lot of different things at such an early age. It kind of helped me grow up quicker than yeah. most people do. And helped you acclimate more. It did. It was some re- there's some real, the way you grew up, there's some real tools there. I like to call it my superpower. It's yeah. to be able to, you know, just take everything, all my experiences. People either play the victim card or they say, okay, um, how can I use this to my advantage? Mm-hmm. Because if moving around, you know, it can be really hard for some people. Some it people is hard. They just shut themselves out. But it's like, you know what? What am I going to do that for? Yeah. I don't like video games. I don't like being inside. I was a kid that played outside on the streets so the lights came on. Yeah. So that's how I like to treat this this business and this world, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's that's really astute of you. The whole, you know, difference between the victim triangle and just basically powering through. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really cool. It's one of the reasons you and I get along so well. So... So you so you go to Mansfield as a as a as a freshman. Mm-hmm. You go out for football. Yep. Talk about the difference between going out for football in Klamath Falls and going out for football in Mansfield. You're familiar with the term called two a days? Yeah. 
got exposed. Matter of fact, I am. <laughs> yeah, you grow up. I've, I've done that. Know, I've done that. You know, yeah, 105 degrees out in the dog days of summer. Yeah, it was pretty nice and almost 100 percent humidity some of those days. Yeah, yeah. yeah when them that tropical moisture in. is something, man. Absolutely. I used to farm in that in that weather too, yeah. and yeah, it was um, it was an interesting way to grow up. So. So two a days. Mm-hmm. So you probably did the Oklahoma drill. Oh yeah, right. Guaranteed concussion so, every single time. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, the Oklahoma drill was something that was started by Barry Switzer um, years ago in Oklahoma, and it and it's basically one on one, and it's it's best on best, and you're you're going to you're going to show that player on the other side of you and your team and your coaches what you're made of, and it's. Um, it's full contact. It's a full contact drill. Yep. So, so interesting story. My son went out for, for football his freshman year mm-hmm. in Escondido. He came home to tell us he was going out for football. And we sort of looked at him like a dog that had heard a sound for the first time because the man, the kid wasn't even a football fan. So the first thing I asked him was, I said, was, is there a girl involved? Because all the stupid stuff I ever did, <laughs> there was a girl involved that I was trying to impress. Right. And so he said, no, dad, it's not a girl. It turned out his best friend wanted to go out for football and asked him if he'd go out with him. Right. So he did. So they have their two-a-days, right? <clears throat> at the end of two-a-days, he's at, at the end of his 10th practice for the week. I go to pick him up because I'm figuring he's probably going to need his dad, right? It's hot in Escondido at that time of the year at two. And not 100, but it was, it was getting there. Not the same humidity, but it was yeah. getting there, right? And so he gets in my F-150, my new F-150, slams the door. And I have a real thing about people slamming doors on my vehicles, but in particular, my brand new truck, right. you know, I'm like, okay, what's wrong with you? And he goes, dad, I'm mad. Okay. What are you mad about? He said, well, they handed out assignments just now. You know, remember at the end of two days, they hand you out, they tell you what position you're going to play. So, okay. He goes, I'm the backup right guard, dad. I don't want to be a backup right guard. I want to be a I want to be a linebacker. I want to be a tight end. I want to be a wide receiver. I want to right. Yeah. And I said, okay. Let me ask you a question. Have you played organized tackle football before in your life? And he goes, no. I said, do you think your coaches know that? He said, yeah. Like, okay. Here's what I see. Your options are. You can keep you can keep complaining. You can keep whining, and you can ride the bench all season long. Or to, next time you go go to practice on Monday, you can line up across from the guy across from you, strap on your helmet and hit him in the mouth. Yep. Next play, hit him harder. Next play, hit him harder. Oklahoma drill, right? Yeah. And so that Monday, I go to pick him up from practice, and the varsity coach, and he's in JV, he's freshman. Varsity coach comes running clear across the thing, Mister Lynn, Mister Lynn, Mister Lynn. Yeah. He goes, "Who's that?" I said, "That's my son, Michael." He goes, "He didn't play like him." What happened between last Friday and today? I said, well, we had a talk. He goes, keep talking to him. By his fourth game, by his fourth game, he had been elected captain of the team, starting starting right guard, starting inside linebacker, starting special teams. They had to play Ironman football because they were so small. There's a small school. is that crazy? Yeah. It was all the way through season. Gets promoted to varsity for the one playoff game that the varsity has. They lose, sudden death, right? So yeah. they're done. Um, Michael's in the back of my truck, and I said, "So you excited about next season?" He said, "Nope." 
said, can I ask why? He goes, dad, he goes, playing football made me love basketball more. I don't like getting hit and I don't like getting yelled at. Well, welcome to football, yeah. right? That's what they do. And if you don't like it, right? And he goes, look, he goes, I knew what my what our standard was. If I chose to do it, I had to finish. and I had to give it everything I had. And he did. Yeah. And he didn't play again. Uh, one of my coaches would always quote, you know, Proverbs 14, 23, mm-hmm. all of hard work produces a profit. Mm-hmm. Your talk leads to poverty. And then there's only two things you can control in life, your attitude and your effort. As That's long it. as both of those things, you're right do whatever you want that's it and that was really like one of like my core foundations for like kind of helping me transition out into real estate because guess what you're gonna get hit in this industry it's gonna be tough so the transition from being a former football player Mm -hmm. to now coming in here it just felt like all right yeah i'm gonna take my l's i'm not gonna win every snap or every rep but you know as long as i don't quit i'm gonna win it's also that distinction of staying out of the victim triangle, too. That's a big deal, man. Yeah. It's a big deal. What did Lombardi say? The Packers never lost the game. They just ran out of time. Yeah. I love that guy. Okay. So let's talk about Mansfield High. Mansfield Legacy. Right. Mansfield Legacy. Yeah. So you go to school there. You play football. Yeah. How did you do in football throughout your high school career? Started on the freshman team. Okay. And then... Got in, they asked me, oh, what position do you play when I got there freshman year? Well, I said I played quarterback and I played linebacker. Mm-hmm. Well, quarterback in Oregon was a heck of a lot different than quarterback in Texas. No kidding. I was like the sixth string quarterback. I'm like, okay, that's not going to happen. Right. So what am I going to do? So I went and started playing linebacker. And I was pretty small at the time because I was you know, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Some of these kids have been playing organized football since they were four years old. Together. Yeah. All these kids, they had a good connection. So then got introduced to the weight room. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, if I can't beat them, then I'm going to try and outwork them. So then got into the weight room, you know, started on the, was one of the weakest guys on the team. Mm -hmm. All right. We had like 18 different squat racks where they would rank them going on into different ones. Mm -hmm. Started off on the lowest one. I said, by the time I graduate, I will make it to the first rack. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, that's what I did. And I was lifting with NFL offensive linemen, just going because I said, you will not outwork me in this room. I love it. And that's the mentality that I had. Yeah. That's the mentality you have now. Yeah. That's. Because that's just one, it, it's a choice, right? Yeah. You can either choose to clock out at five or you can say, you know what? I still got four hours for me to put in some more work and what am I going to do? That's it. So high school football in Mansfield. Yeah. What was your favorite thing about high school in Mansfield, Texas? The relationships that I was able to form with my teammates. Yeah. That's always comes down to the relationships. I can't tell you what the final scores were to the game. I can't tell you how many tackles that that I had or whatever, because that's irrelevant. Right. But I can tell you the the feelings and the emotions that came after each win, each loss, going on the bus rides to, you know, Stephenville, Texas, Mm -hmm. these small little podunk towns. Like, that's what I enjoyed the most, and that's what I remember. I remember what was said on that bus, but I remember how I felt on that bus. Yeah, football's a religion back there. 100%. It really is. It's amazing. So, um so your favorite thing about going to Mansfield High School, what was your favorite thing? Favorite thing there was being pushed both academically and physically. Okay. So in Oregon, I did not have good grades. Okay. I did not try in school at all, didn't care. And then I got to went to Mexico to visit some family the summer before I came back. My dad had registered for classes. Little did I know, he registered me for all the pre-AP and AP classes. He Ooh, said, you're going to do it. Dad, I'm like, go. I'm like, what's this? Oh, I love I'm it. I'm like, what is this? Like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. And then ended up, you know, turns out that I was 
actually better student than I thought I was and ended up riding that wave all the way through to the end. That's cool. And in Texas, you know, traditionally your coaches are the teachers, right? None of my coaches were any of my teachers. So I was there with some of, you know, the brightest kids in my school. And then, okay, well, these kids are, now I need to compete on a different level, not yeah. just physically. Now I need to compete academically with all of these ones. Yeah. You know, I wasn't, you know, top of my class or anything. Did make it into the top 10% when I graduated. So that was fun. Knew that I was able to do it. Yeah. Just if I actually tried and did the commitment to it. Well, it's confidence building, right? I mean, it's not just, hey, I'm good at hitting people. Yeah. Right. It's. I can actually solve these problems. I can figure this out. I can think my way through these things. Yeah. And that's a muscle, dude. That's as that's as big a muscle as what you were working in the yeah. in the weight room, you know. Ironically, the only accolade that I received for football was making the academic all state team. That's cool. My mom still has it framed up in her Oh room. yeah, she does. That was it. So yeah, that, she does. When I gave her that, that was really cool. Do you ever thank your dad for registering you in all AP classes? Never have. You should. Yeah. You should, because that's a big deal. Should. That's a big deal. Well, it's a, you know, your whole life is culture shocks. Yeah. Think about it, right? That was a culture shock for you because now all of a sudden you're in a different pool that you're swimming in, right? Mm-hmm. It's a different water altogether. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's your, that's your dad having confident enough confidence in you to, to, to issue the challenge and you, yeah. you accepted it and conquered it. That's cool, dude. That's a big deal. Okay. So you graduate Mansfield. Yep. Then what? Then it was off to San Diego State. And I applied to. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. How did you end up in San Diego State from Mansfield, Texas? All right. You want to know the truth? I do. I I want to know the truth. I flipped the coin. Did you really? I flipped the coin. I applied to two schools. Yeah. Texas State and then San Diego State. Texas State. Why Texas State? Of. a lot of my high school friends were going to go oh, there. Okay. So you were, so you so, were going with the gang. Okay. One of my best friends still to this day, you know, I thought we were going to be rooming together mm-hmm. at Texas state. And then we were playing racquetball with another buddy. And then the other guy tells my buddy, Ronnie, he goes, Hey, did you, you know, sign the dorm papers yet? And I'm like, what? I thought we were going to room together. Yeah. So then he's like, Oh yeah, Mark, I just didn't, I didn't have the heart to tell you, but like, I don't want to room with one of my best friends. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to San Diego state. Really? Yeah. Wow. The coin. So that just absolutely. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's interesting how that happened. Didn't visit right? the city. Didn't visit the school. Never been to San <clears throat> so Diego. So you hadn't been to San Diego? Mm-mm. Wow. I told myself I'll give it a year. If I don't like it, I'll make adjustments. Yeah. I'm a gypsy. Moving around was, well, was easy for it me. Sounds like, it sounds like that's sort of your way of doing things, right? Is you don't necessarily shy away from taking chances or taking risks. No. You just basically say, I'm going to go give it a shot. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I learn something. Yeah. And the way that I see it is my mom and dad both emigrated to this country. Yeah. Like they took a shot. You know, they were almost 30 when they moved here. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? If they did it, they had the courage to go. Then what's holding me back? Where's your mom from in Mexico? Uh, state of Jalisco. Okay. Small town called Jalos Totitlan. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. That's really cool. Okay. So, so you go to San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, let's talk about this. So you decide to go to San Diego State. You come out here. Yeah. What's that like? Uh, remember when I used culture shock? <laughs> yeah, I was expecting you to say something like that. Yeah, so again, seems to be the commonality here. It's, yeah. it's coming out. And funny enough, one of the people that I first met in college, still one of my best friends to this day. Oh, it didn't surprise me. Like still. so You're all about relationships, and that's one of the coolest things about you. And I know that that's a big strength for you in real estate too. Yeah. So 
so you come out here, culture shock, right? Yep. What's it like? It was everything that I thought it would be because I had this vision in my head. You know, I ended up getting into the Greek life, joined a fraternity because mm-hmm. I was still looking for that sense of, you know, community and yeah. team. So, and I rushed the first house that I really went to because I felt formed a pretty strong bond with a couple of the people that were there. Okay. And then, yeah, next thing you know, I'm now pledging a fraternity and it turned out to be just like in the movies, yeah. which some of that stuff we will leave off of this podcast. Yeah, we will actually. Yeah, we will. So yeah, this one's rated clean. I think I told you. Perfect. That. So, um, so you, so you're here four years. Did you go to school four years? Yeah, did four and a half. Four and I half. did a study abroad trip to Cuba. So that Ooh, was. I bet that was interesting. How long was, were you in Cuba? Uh, it was only for a month. Okay. That I was there because that was part of my major requirement yeah. was to study because I'd got my degree in international relations and conflict resolution. Okay. Because I thought I was going to go into either work for the for the government, mm-hmm. either the foreign services office, or go into homeland security. Yeah. Because they had the master's program at state. Right. But. Then graduated, you know, money started running out. I'm like, okay, I need to figure something out. Amazing how that works. Yeah. Which we'll get into that later, but it eventually led me into a career in real estate. Yeah. Okay. So you so you graduate with, and you said international studies, right? Yep. Okay. So a degree in international studies. Then what happens? So then after we gra- I graduated, I bounced around and moved back to Texas, actually. Took a job in the oil and gas industry. Really? Did that for what? Uh, what made you do that? So one of my great friends in high school, mm-hmm. her dad owned an oil and gas exploration company, and he's been trying since I was like a sophomore. He goes, "Mark, you need to come out here and work for me. Just mm-hmm. Drop out of college, just come work." I said, "If I drop out, it's going to kill my mom." Yeah. I said, you "We're know not what? doing that." Oil and gas will be there by the time I graduate. Mm-hmm. Let me get this. I'm already in. I'll finish. That sounds like something your mom might say. I know, right? Oil well, and gas wo- will be there. <laughs> that, that woman's voice lives in here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love it, man. That's cool. Yeah. So then I was there for about eight months and my second day on the job, this is January, 2016. Okay. My buddy flew out the one who was supposed to room with me at Texas state never did. So yeah. he flew out and we packed up everything in my car that wouldn't fit a little 93 Toyota Camry and yep. we drive back out to Texas, Yeah. made it in a day, get there. And then the second day on the job, the other owner of the company comes in and he goes, guys, we're going to get through this. And I'm just thinking, the hell does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? And then oil at the time was $26 a barrel. Right. 18 months prior to that, oil was at $104 a barrel. Yeah, it was. So it was a significant decrease. And mm-hmm. here I am calling people, asking them to invest in oil and gas. When I'm either getting yelled at, hung up, they're like, Mark, I just lost a quarter million dollars with you guys. You think I'm going to invest again? And I'm like, yeah, buy the dip. Right. I'm 22 years old. What do I know? Right. I know nothing. And then did that eight months consistently for 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. just calling. Did not do a single trade. But wow. I said, you know what? I will not quit until I get something or until they fire me. Right. And their business model was the same as the stockbrokers. First 90 days, if you don't get a trade in, you're done. Yeah. You're out of here. But because of my relationship and like I put in the effort, did the things, like I was making 300 outbound calls a day, starting at 8 a.m. calling the East Coast, and I would stay in the office until 9 p.m. calling Alaska yeah. because of the time difference. Did that for five days a week. And I'm driving back and forth because I subleased a room on the campus of University of North Texas, mm-hmm. which was 30 miles away from my office. Wow. So here I am driving 90 minutes each way to a job I hate in a cubicle. And I'm just thinking, I really left the house in Pacific Beach living in San Diego for this. Yeah. I said, you know what? 
I signed a lease for nine months. I'm going to stick this out. But then halfway through that, the summertime, the partners had a falling out of the owners. The, com- the guy who I went to work for left the company. So I said, you know what? My loyalties are to him. They're not to this company. He's out. So the girl's dad the left. The girl's dad, yeah. I got you. Yep. Okay. The one who had been trying to recruit you for years. Yep. Drop out of college, come work in oil and gas, right? Yeah. 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 So then I said, you know what? He's gone. I'm gone. So mm-hmm. I texted my buddies. I said, hey, is that room still available? Did you guys, you know, rent it out? Like, no, it's still available. I said, I'm coming back. Yeah. Came back. Now I'm 23 at the time and trying to, you know, make some money. What do I do? Right. I took a job as a FedEx driver during the day, worked in the gym at night. There you go. And then while I was in the gym, I started meal prepping a lot. And then these other people in the gym, they're like, hey, if we pay, you can meal prep for us. I'm like, all right, well, there's an idea. Yeah. So then I started a meal prep service out of my kitchen with my roommate. Wow. Turned out I hated cooking. Oh, really? Not- I hated cooking this. We were just not fun. Loved the business aspect of it. Yeah. And we were cooking a lot, a couple hundred meals out of our kitchen a week. Wow. So we got it. That's a lot. Yeah. And then we realized, you know, we don't want to be chefs. Okay. So then we kind of just dissolved that and kind of went different ways. And then I took an internship on a political campaign because I'm like, what do I like? Like, I really like politics. Yeah. So then. Well, you had been thinking about working in government anyway. Mm-hmm. So. And it was right around the 2016 election, the just ended so the midterms were starting in 2018. Okay. It's like all right, maybe I can get onto a local race here in the San Diego area, but I had no experience. I didn't have any background, I didn't have any connections politically. All mm-hmm. my friends were, you know, 22 years old. What yeah. connections do they have? Yeah. So then I went on Indeed and found this internship that was an unpaid campaign internship for a small city council race. Okay. So I applied and I took it. Okay. And then met with the candidate and we talked it was supposed to be like a 30 minute conversation. Turned out to be like three hours. Amazing. Jumped in the car and he showed me around. The We've district. had conversations like that, you and me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So, so three hours. Okay. You get in the car, you start driving around. Yep. And that okay. conversation changed my life. Wow. How? Um, it led me to ultimately a career in real estate. And still to this day, that candidate has been one of the greatest influences in my life. Okay. How? Um, so we ended up going on the campaign. We didn't end up winning. So, but then he said, Mark, you know, I'd see a future for you in real estate. Mm-hmm. I have a couple real estate companies here in Chula Vista. I think you do really well in this profession. Okay. The time I'm 24, I'm like, all right, what do I got to lose? Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. If I don't like it, I'll keep looking out doing something else. Well, yeah, but I, like we talked about before, that's kind of been your philosophy, right? Yeah. I'm either going to, I'm either going to win or I'm going to learn. Right. It's a really healthy way to look at things. So there's the only two options. So you take so you take the leap. Yep, took the leap. They hired me on as their um, assistant mm-hmm. for their team. Yeah. I was a terrible assistant. Yeah. Six months. I, they're like, Mark, you know what? You're great, but we feel as though you're better in a different position. Okay. So then they moved me over to their other companies and kind of did business development for them. And then I'm doing that for about 10 months. Okay. But I'm still involved in the real estate industry. Mm-hmm. I'm interacting with all these realtors and lenders, seeing how they operate, seeing how they think. And I'm like, I can do what they do. Yeah. Like what they do is not difficult. And the, you don't have to be anything special to be successful in this industry. There you go. So then okay. I said, you know what? I'm going to get my license. And I told him, I said, I'm getting my license, but I'm also going to leave for three months because I'm going to go to Southeast Asia on a backpacking trip before I make a deep dive into this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, yeah, everybody says they're going to get their license and then leave and they don't come back. So got the license, left, came back January. And I said, all right, I'm ready to go. What do I need to do and how do I do it? 
So where did you backpack? So went to Philippines, Bali, Thailand, Cambodia, and there's another one. There's five countries. Vietnam. Wow. What was that like? Culture shock. Yeah. No, kind of. It, it was it was great. Like I love to travel. One of my current like things that I have to do is go to three new countries every year. Okay. And that's just kind of like my eye-opening experience of the rest of the world, like getting to see how people think, how people interact. Cause the more you know about a different culture, the easier it is for you to do business with them. Oh, sure. And that has been my because most of my clients over the years. Most of them immigrants, okay. most of them from different parts of the country or different okay. parts of the world. Okay. And I think it was my experience of traveling international relations that allowed me to effectively communicate with these individuals and yeah. to build a connection with them. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's that's the root in the relationship business. Well, you're good at connecting anyway. I mean, you're really good at the relationship thing, but that probably is another layer on top of it. So yeah. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, don't so you go. So you go backpacking for three months, have a great time, mm-hmm. come back. And you get your license. Yep. Right. Yep. Where do you go? I joined the same team that I was the uh, um, assistant for. Oh, okay. For the Zaker group. Okay. Yep. I was with Max and Claudia Zaker. Shout out Max and Claudia. Yeah. I was with them. We're in their office. They were in their office, by the way. I'm still with them, you know? Yeah, we're in their studio. Fast forward seven years later. Yeah. It was just funny. Just in August, I just texted Max. I'm like, and I showed him a photo. I'm like, hey, Max, here's the first text you sent me seven years ago. Wow. From the, let's meet up at the Agave Cafe. So when I said that conversation changed my life, I mean, if it wasn't for that conversation, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. Yeah. And then 2019, you know, started selling and it was my fifth day as a realtor. Mm -hmm. Did my first open house. I sold that house. That's awesome. Somebody came in. That's like, very rare, by the way. For those of you that don't know, that's very, very rare. That's that's what everybody keeps telling it's, me. I'm serious, man. There's a very, listen, NAR will tell you a very small percentage. I think it's three or 4% of the people that come into an open house actually buy it. Yeah. So it's incredibly rare. Yeah. And I was completely transparent with a couple. They came in. They're like, Mark, we love this house. We want it, but we have to sell our townhouse in order to be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Listing and a buyer. Sure. So I go into Claudia's office on Monday. I'm like, hey, I have a listing appointment. If somebody wants to buy it and sell this house, they're like, yeah, sure you do. And I'm like, no, I'm, it's, it's five o'clock on Tuesday. Like, what, what the heck do I do? Right. So she's like, oh, gosh. Okay. So then we go. She comes to the listing appointment with me. We get the listing. She gets it done. So my first transaction as a realtor, you know, front and back was a million dollars. Wow. 600 purchase, 400 sell. Good job. So in the That's first awesome. 30, and you said days, five days in, right? Five days in. Yeah. I got, I think I started January 14th was my first day that I signed on officially with the brokerage, mm-hmm. had it, the open house on the 20th. Next thing you know, I'm in escrow by the 23rd on two properties. Wow. And I'm like, That's incredible. I'm like, this is, this is easy. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is awesome. And then when I got my first check at the time, I mean, this is the most amount of money I've ever made in my life. Oh, sure. So that's, I've never, to this day, I have not felt richer than I did in that moment. Cause here you are coming, you know, from a hundred, $200 in your bank account, mm-hmm. a broke college student to all of a sudden making five figures yeah. on one transaction. You're just like, Oh boy. Yeah. But okay. This, this is cool. This, this is real. Yeah. And then started kicking off some more transactions started to follow. I think I opened like four escrows within my first quarter as a realtor. Awesome. And I'm thinking, I'm going to crush it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then you know what? The ego started to kick in because then I went dry for about five months and got to experience what that was like. <laughs> yeah. Turns out the law, of, average, there, yeah. law of averages starts to kick in, right? It does, actually. So, it does, actually. And then my first year, you know, ended with six transactions. 
and I did four of them in the first quarter. Right. So humbled me a little bit. You know, here I am thinking I'm God's gift to earth at the age of 25 because yeah. I got four escrows under my belt. Yeah. And then reality set in yeah. and it's like, okay, you know what? Just like you learn from the losses, you need to learn from the wins. Yep. And you got to adapt that Tom Brady mentality. It's like, I don't care what I did. I care about what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then that was my shift going on, going forward. And then second year in, nine transactions. Third year in, hit 13 transactions, made the top 10% of realtors in San Diego. When did we meet? We met in 2019. Okay, so, so that was four years you, ago. You came in and coached a class. And still to this day, the tools that you taught that class, I implemented into my business from day one. Oh, cool. So what you taught, you know, 25-year-old me, mm -hmm. definitely has helped me remain in this career for the last five years where it's with a 90% fail rate. So for oh. that, I thank you. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. I'm happy to do it. I mean, I, I know I hide it well, but I really enjoy doing it. It's um, teaching is a, is a real passion of mine. And it's, it's something that I've been doing for a very, very long time, like three decades. Yeah. And I did, I've done it because there's been, I feel like a real chasm out there, you know, a real lack of, uh, of knowledge and a real lack of people wanting to share. Like in our industry, it's incredibly competitive incredibly competitive and it's very rare that somebody is willing to come in from your local market and teach you how to succeed mm -hmm. right in your local market deal is this is a big big business right it's small in terms of the number of people that are in an elite status in our business like we all know each other you know oh, yeah. type thing but it's a big business in terms of the total number of transactions and i feel like it's important to, to give back, you know, to, to share with people what I've learned in 31 plus years. It'll be 32 in February. Oh. I got to stop telling people that. I started when I was five, just so we're clear. Okay. Well, I don't want to age you, but I turned 30 two weeks ago. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah you're aging me. All right. Smart Alec. Okay. So, so let's, so, so you, so you went to work for Mac, Max and Claudia mm -hmm. and you worked for them for how many years? Four? So I was with the Zaker group all the way up until January of this year. Oh, okay. So you, oh, more than four then. Yeah, five. So I was with them officially from 2017 to 2023. Yeah. So wow. Yeah. Wow. And still with them. Just oh, now, yeah. Now, yeah. At, now at a different capacity. Yeah. So you were on their team, just so we're clear. You were on their team, mm -hmm. and now you're on your own. You you're doing your own thing. You're still under their brokerage, right. and we're in their brokerage, like we talked about, right? And in their studio. Thanks again, guys, for doing this. Um, so so up so that takes us up to today. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about this for a second. Okay. What was the most important thing you learned on the Zaker team? The most important thing that I learned on the Zaker on the Zaker group is to be completely transparent with your clients. Yeah. Do not hide anything. Do not try and do anything, sweep anything under the rug because they the real estate license ultimately can make you a very wealthy person yeah. and it can retire you very quickly or it can also give you a lot of lawsuits and a lot of headaches. Yeah. So because they've been broker owners for the last, you know, X number of years, yeah. they've seen all the good, but also get hit with all of the bad in yeah. terms of agents having to, you know, go through different lawsuits and stuff. So they always taught me how to not get sued. So risk mitigation, that's a big deal. That was, that was the biggest thing. And I'm proud to say, you know, in my five years that Everything that I've done has been by the book and with truly with the best intentions from putting my clients first. Yeah, I don't doubt that about you. Knowing you as well as I do, I don't doubt that about you. So, so 
risk mitigation was something it's, it's, you know, <clears throat> in our business and where we are in Southern California, it's very litigious. Oh yeah. Okay. And there are literally, I mean, you've heard of ambulance t- chasers, right? There are literally ambulance chasers out there that are out chasing real estate deals and they're trying to figure, you know, catch you in, in something that you're doing so that they can dip into your pocket. Yep. And, um, that was a big thing. I owned a Keller Williams office, as you know, for 18 years. That was a big deal for us. We, we taught risk mitigation and had a very, very low rate mm-hmm. of, of deals that actually ended up in some sort of legal issue, you know? Um, and it was because we were very, very careful about what we taught and very aggressive about teaching risk mitigation and how to make sure that, you know, you're completely upfront with your client, that kind yeah. of thing. 100%, so hundred percent. All right. So we're here today and full, full disclosure, you and I are actually in the middle of a deal. Um, that's kind of how we ended up, um, ended up talking some more about this and reconnecting, mm-hmm. but, um, we're, we're in a counter stage. So that's where we're at right now. We're flirting uh, right now. Yeah, we're, we're right. Right. So, um, so, so you moved into the hub mm-hmm. how long ago now? Hub opened officially in October. Right. So we've been here, gosh, going on about a month now. About a month. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice, by the way. It's 15,000 square feet, right? right. We yep. just, I just took the tour and I'm still, my eyes are still wide because of it. Um, so really nice. I love your office. It's very cool. Thank you. Uh, it's got a it's got a pink couch and a pink refrigerator in it. So it's bre- it's breast cancer awareness month all year long in Mark's office. Very cool thing. Yep. Um and it's and this is a really gets this place has a great vibe. It really does. It's really cool. They did it right. They did. I think it's the most unique real estate office that we have here in San Diego County. Yeah, I'd agree with I mean, that. You, yeah. you've been around the yeah. block a couple of times. I'm pretty, a couple of times. Yeah, a couple of times, right? So yeah, but don't sure. tell anybody. <laughs> Your secret's safe with me <laughs> and the world. <laughs> yeah, so it's honestly, it's a joy to be able to come into this building each and every day. And we just got to keep the energy and the momentum going. Yeah. I mean, especially right now with everybody's view on the markets, it's doomsday out there. But you know what? If you can create an environment where it's filled with positive energy, people are doing business, transacting, servicing their clients at a high level. Yeah. Energy just breeds energy. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I mean, I I don't <clears throat> I don't agree with the doomsday thing. Yeah. Um, and and part of it is I've been I've been doing this for so long. pardon me, I've been doing this for so long and I've seen so many different Mm -hmm. markets, right? Um, Interest rates are high. Interest rates are as high as they've been in 17 years and all that kind of wonderful stuff. What were the rates when you started your first year? on Actually, actually, we're not going to talk about that because remember I was five. No, I'm kidding. Um, So when I got started in the business in, in February of 1992, this is just really bad. Uh, you 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 roped me into this, and that's not fair. So um, not happy with you right now. So February of 1992, we were at 9.5% 30-year fixed, and it had been 10% six months prior. So in the, in the last six months, it had come down a half a percent. <clears throat> and there was all kinds of talk about deflation, and, um, and I mean, it was, it was just crazy. But it was also the beginning of a cliff. Like we were literally on the edge of a cliff. And the cliff was the Clinton administration at the time, your background in politics, mm-hmm. Clinton administration at the time 
um, was, was they were looking to, they in Congress were looking to cash in on what they called the peace dividend. Mm-hmm. And so what they were doing was they were slashing the, the, de- the defense budget by billions and hundreds of billions of dollars. What happened there was we were way, way, way over saturated, if you will, in San Diego in the real estate market with Lockheed Martin, mm-hmm. um, all of these McDonnell Douglas, all these different Raytheon, all these different companies that were defense contractors that were General Dynamics. They were they were huge in Kearney Mesa. They were huge down by the airport. And they had a lot of employees. I'm talking tens of thousands of employees that ended up leaving and they ended up going to Texas. They ended up moving their companies to Texas, all that, <clears throat> because they didn't need all those warehouses now. They didn't need all that space anymore. They didn't need as many workers. And so we ended up going into, in 1992, an honest-to-goodness real estate depression in San Diego County. And my timing being impeccable, I get into the business right when it happens. Right when we're going off a cliff, I get into the business. The good news is I learned a lot, right? I learned how to scrap. I learned how to scrape. I learned how to do what you needed to do to survive and to thrive in a market like that. And it's, and it was, a it was as much as my timing was terrible, it was a great way to, to get started. Right. It was a, you know, baptism by fire kind of thing. So I don't quite agree with the, with the doomsday thing today because we've seen a lot worse. We really have. <clears throat> and there was a time um, when I first got started in the business, when the average time to sell a home, average market time, was over six months. It was over 180 days. So what we have right now is peanuts compared to that. Yeah. Okay. So I don't quite agree with the doomsday thing, but I do agree that the vast majority of our industry, that's their view. That's what they think. Okay. Yeah. Because the last six months, last six years, the people that have gotten into this business haven't known anything else. They haven't known anything else except this absolutely unbelievable, my phone rings all the time and I'm constantly doing deals right and left. Now you've got to go out and work for it. Now you've got to go out and put the effort in, right? And I told you, I listened to a Tom Ferry thing on the way down. I'm all pumped up because Tom Ferry does that to me. Uh, But I listened to a Tom Ferry webinar on the way down and the the dude's amazing. I mean, he's just, you know that. Anyway, so... There's tons of opportunity in this in this type of a market. And when everybody else is doomsday, and you know this, when everybody else is doomsday, with the right attitude, and this is what I love about you, by the way, with the right attitude and the right amount of action and the right amount of, of fortuitousness, so, so to speak, you can actually go out and gain market share. Yeah. You can go out and do things that people will be absolutely blown away by. And I'm looking forward to seeing you do that because I know you'll do it. Thank you. Okay, so... What so tell us about real broker? So when I met you, Mm -hmm. full disclosure, I owned a Keller Williams office for eighteen years. I got rid of that Keller Williams office due to my health. Went to Tampa to sell new homes. Came back, and I was invited to come teach at your office. I taught at your office. That's how we met. It was a Keller Williams office at the time. Now you guys have made the transition from Keller Williams over to Real Broker. Mm-hmm. Talk about the difference between the two. Talk about why Real Broker. It's Real Broker. It's it, yes, it's a national brokerage, just mm-hmm. like all of the other big ones. Mm-hmm. But it's run more like a micro brokerage versus having to you know 
answer to the national office. Okay. So it's structured completely different. I mean, we pretty much have autonomy to run the teams how we want. So so it's decentralized kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, there's obviously there's still you know parameters that you need oh, to sure. fall under. But yeah. in terms of like, I feel like I can go ahead and do my own thing, right? Okay. So the issue that we had the biggest was when we were Keller Williams Chula Vista. If I wanted to go, because I live in Pacific Beach, mm-hmm. if I wanted to open up a Keller Williams branded office there in association with Keller Williams Chula Vista, I can't. Right. Because somebody else already owns a territory Correct. because it's a franchise. You weren't going to be able to open an Escondido either. I can do an Escondido because <laughs> I'd, I'd have you knocking on my door. Right. Sir. Actually, I would have given you permission. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I would have loved to have had you there. So with this, with Real, it's you want to throw up Team San Diego? Team San Diego, you want to throw XYZ group, throw up XYZ group, because yeah. at the end of the day, we're still a sub team of real broker. Gotcha. And in those teams, we run them how we see fit. Cool. And so we're still bringing that hybrid model of if you want to be part of real where, you know, it's everything is online, digital, you don't need an office. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to create that for yourself, you go ahead and create the hub. Right. If you have the the community and the support and the vision to do it, you can do whatever you want with with this banner. Yeah. And I'll tell you just real quick about the hub thing. I know I've gone a little bit too much about that, but this is really cool. You guys have in in the tour you were giving me, you guys have an area that's basically designated for attorneys, designated for accountants, designated for people that they work in real estate, but they're ancillary to real estate. Right. But they're also supportive of it. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, in our business, we do business with a lot of different types of affiliates, right? Vendors, that kind of thing. And you guys have escrow here. Marina escrows here. You've got the lending side here, right? You also have these other areas that are designated for these other vendors, potentially. Yep. That's a very cool dynamic. And it's a real, it's a real synergy that, you know, I think is really wise. I mean, I, I like the way you guys have set this up. Yeah. And it sounds like real lets you do that, mm-hmm. right? So you have more. I don't know, call it what you want, flexibility than you had before in terms of, of how you go about designing it. Yeah. And I think that a realtor is only as good as their network. Yeah. So I've always been a person, oh, I, I got a person for something. Yeah. You know, so now whenever my clients call me, like I need to continue to provide value to them yeah. rather than just, you know, here's the keys to your new house or here's my for sale sign in your front yard. Right. No, like I'm involved with them, like every aspect of the way. So whatever it is that they need, I want them to be the want me to be the point of contact for them. Well, you should be the source. You should yeah. be the person that when they need a landscaper, yeah. you're you're their call. When they need a mover, you're their call. That kind of thing, right? They yeah. need an attorney. They're, you know, yeah. right. So yeah, that's the way it should be. So so it sounds like real is onto something. I mean, they're growing quickly they nationwide, right? And they're growing quickly here. I think we're we just crossed the ten thousand agent mark across the country. I think here in California Sorry, 12,000. And I think California, we're now roughly at 1,500 agents in the state of California. Yeah. So it's it's growing. 2,000. Thanks, There you Al. go. There yeah. you go. Yeah, there you go. Two, so, 2,000 agents now. So you so the growth curve is starting to steepen, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys are starting to catch your catch fire. You're starting to get some momentum going, mm-hmm. not just here in, in Chula Vista, but basically California wide. And so one of the things that we know in real estate from the couple of days I've been doing this um, is real estate companies will incubate a lot of ideas and a lot of strategies and things here. Mm-hmm. And then that if it works here, they'll take it and they'll replicate it yep. worldwide, right? 
nationwide first and then worldwide. Um, and so it's cool that, that the, that the San Diego numbers are where they are and the, and the California numbers are, because this is literally where you're, when you catch fire here, that's when the rest of the nation will catch fire. And there's a, there's a joke that California is always six months ahead in terms of, you know, new technologies in terms of different real estate trends that tend to follow across the country elsewhere. So if it's happening here, then we know it's going to follow with the rest of the country. Yeah, forward. I would say it's actually, I would say that's actually longer than six months. I think it's, I think it's more like a year, year and a half. Well, inflation now, everything's a lot longer, right? Well, yeah, that's true, right? So, um, so anyway, that's just my opinion, yeah. but you know, take it for what's worth. Yeah. So, so let's talk about your real estate business, right? Yes. So you're, so you're now your own deal. Mm-hmm. Are you looking to build a team? Are you looking to add to your brand? Are you, what are you looking to do in the future? Right now in the short term is for me to build up my own personal brand, mm-hmm. you know, Mark Anthony Realty continue going through that aspect after being part of a team for five years and working as closely with Max and Claudia being the team lead and just Mm -hmm. seeing the amount of people that come in and out of this industry, like building a team, like it is mentally exhausting and draining, which you've seen. So I'm not ruling out starting a team, but it is going to be very, very specialized. And it takes a certain person for me that I'm looking for Mm -hmm. to be able to coach them and develop them the way that I was. Okay. So talk about who that person needs to look like. Uh, that person needs to lead, lead with curiosity. Okay. Come in, not knowing anything. I've heard that before. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's in my training, by the way. It's, yeah, yeah, we, it's what we teach. Five, five years ago. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's still here. Yeah, I love right? it. I love it. Um, People that even they know they expect things to be tough mm-hmm. and for them to be able to persevere and push through it and not quit. Yeah. I mean, do you either believe that you can or you can't? Both people are generally right. That's yeah, true. So, According to Henry Ford, if you believe you can or if you believe you can't, yep. you're right. That's, That's it. Simple simple as that. Yeah. Somebody who's going to do what they're going to do or say do what they're gonna do, right? Oh, do what they say they're gonna Sorry, do. Sorry, there yeah. we go. Do yeah. what they say they're gonna do. That's it. Yeah. Just high character, high values. That's it. Doesn't take much. It's very, very simple. That's cool. Well, you never know. I might apply. <laughs> anyway, thanks for being here. Of course. I appreciate it. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? No, I think we pretty much, we covered a lot. Thank you for we allowing did, me we to share cover my story. A lot. We did cover a lot. And, you know, I'm glad you did this. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I'm glad you did this. People are going to connect with you yeah. that were in oil and gas. They're going to connect with you that were that lived in Klamath Falls or we're going to move, you know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Modesto, whatever it's, you know, some of them are going to connect with you because their mom's from Mexico. Okay. I mean, you know, first generation, I mean, there's a lot here that people can connect with you on and uh, we're going to put your contact information in the description. We'll put your, your link to your website in the description, that kind of thing. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. You truly are one of my favorite people in the world. And this has been an absolute pleasure doing this. So thanks again for being on the Mike Litton Experience. Thank you for having me, Mike. I love you, buddy. Love you too, Mike. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor. Smash that subscribe button. Tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program. And wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books.
Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out Calendly.com slash Rio 760.